You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. The next thing that we're building on is on God's Word. And we have been studying already this this month and this year, uh, the book of Exodus. And we're going to continue that this morning. And we are going through line by line, kind of chapter by chapter. And uh, we've said so far that the book of Exodus is about God and about his people, right? If God were to speak uh, out to us this morning, he would say, I am the living God and I care for you, right? And we've, we've said that over the last couple weeks. Well, when you come to Exodus chapter 4, there's a verse, verse 25, that uh, is kind of the trouble with doing expository preaching. Because how do you wrestle with verses like this? Uh, look at it with me. If you got your Bible, you can look at it. It says, Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Yeah, let's pray. <laughs> Actually, when you come to verses like that, what you do, you look for someone else to fill the pulpit. And that's what we did this morning. No, just kidding, no. This morning, though, seriously, we are excited. Uh, Pastor Mike Jones, Mike and Jamie Jones have been a blessing here at the Gateway Church. And for, ye for over a year now, they have uh, been plugging in in different ways. And Mike reached out to me and said, Pastor, are, is there an opportunity uh, this year to preach? And I gave him a few opportunities, and he picked today. And, uh, man, we are excited. Uh, when Mike speaks, it's practical, it's powerful, and this morning we have got some notes to follow along. I want to encourage you, and Pastor Mike, thank you, and Amen. we're excited to get into the Word of God. Amen. Let's give good him a good, warm welcome this morning. Love you, brother. Amen. Well, thank you. Well, I, I, if you check your sermon notes, you'll notice that I don't really speak about that verse you reference, right? But, I mean, it, it sounds, either way, it sounds like a rough go for that, uh, that young man, okay? All right, so let's, let's get on with it here. Okay, so uh, as Pastor Ben mentioned, uh, we are in a series uh, titled Exodus, and we're moving through uh, chapter by chapter in this uh, wonderful book, uh, seeing how God moved in these people's lives. And we are expecting God to move in our own lives, amen? We're expecting God to lead us from, from one place to another throughout this year. And so it really is a privilege to be with you today. I titled uh, my sermon this morning, If God Calls, Then We Can. If God calls, then we can. Look at your neighbor and tell him that. If God calls, then we can. You know, as I started thinking about this sermon, I started thinking about uh, God's will. Okay, a lot of this sermon today has to do with God's will, God's calling on a person's life. And I thought, well, what is God's will for my own life? That's a question that I, I come to periodically, especially when I'm transitioning from one season into the next. And in the last two years, since coming back from Colorado, I've been in this state of transition and I've been periodically saying, Lord, what is your will in my life? What are you calling me to do right now? Because once God's calling is clear in my life, a lot of things get galvanized and I can align my resources and my energies and go, all right, that's the way I need to go. That's what I need to do. 
But once God's calling is clear, I think there's a more important question, and it pertains to what we're looking at today, is what hinders me from fulfilling that calling? What hinders me from fulfilling God's will once it's clear? I think knowing the answer to these questions is, is really important. But what about you? What is God's will for your life? What is God calling you to do right now in this season? But more importantly, once God's calling, once God's will is clear to you, what hinders you from embracing that calling and fulfilling His will in your life? What hinders you from living it out? Well, there are two things, as I can tell, and we're going to see those two things in today's scripture. There are two things that hinder us from embracing God's calling. It's first, what others think about us, and second, what we think about ourselves. You know, there are some of us here today that you know what God's will is. We know what God's will is for our life. We, but we have failed to move forward because we either worry too much what others will think. Will they approve? Will they support us? Will they, will they believe that we can do it? Or two, we worry that we don't have what it takes, that somehow we are not enough. We've, we've failed in the past. We've, we've missed our opportunity. Our, our ship has sailed. Well, fortunately for us, we're not the first people to struggle with these things. And today we're going to learn in Exodus chapter 4 that Moses struggled with these thoughts. But in the end, he left his regret. He left his failure. He left everything that was hindering him from embracing God's calling in his life. He left it at the mountain of God. And he moved forward knowing that if God call it, called him, then he could do whatever God asked him to do. We can do the same. We can do the same. If God calls us, then we can. So let's look at Exodus chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through 17 and then skip up to verse 29. Okay, just listen. But Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses said, replied. Well, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. And then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your coat. So Moses put his hand inside his coat, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back in your coat, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the second sign, and if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, what about your brother? Aaron the Levi, I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him. 
and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak. I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say, and take your separate step with you, and use it to perform the miraculous signs I've shown you. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. And then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So when I look into Exodus chapter 4, one of the first questions that came to my mind was, okay, what is the context of this chapter? And if you were here last week, you know that we're stepping in to the middle of a conversation that God is having with Moses. This conversation actually began in Exodus chapter 3 and continued through the end of Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. We find Moses at the beginning of chapter 3. He's far into the wilderness. He's near the mountain of God. I find it significant that it was recorded that he was near the mountain of God. Whether he knew he was near there or just kind of happened upon that, I find that very significant because of what we're about to learn. See, when we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he is but a shadow of his former self. You see, as a younger man, he was well-educated. He was powerful in speech and in action. And having recognized God calling his life, he tried to deliver the Israelites from slavery. He was about 40 years or thereabouts. But his efforts failed. Not only did the Israelites reject his leadership, but he alienated himself from the Egyptians as well. And so he did the only thing he could do at that point, and that was run into the desert. See, I find it amazing how quickly a person's life can turn from good times to hard times. Speaking of hard times, it's been pretty cold lately, hasn't it? I don't know why, but I've been having a hard time putting a scarf on. I just, I don't know, I just can't get my head around it or something. Uh, some of y'all are going to get that on your way home. But Moses, seriously though, <laughs> I think Moses was having a hard time getting his head around what just happened in his life. You see, Moses, uh, was, he tried to fulfill God's will, and he failed. Worse yet, I really don't think he knew why he failed. Isn't that the worst? When we fail and we don't even know why we failed, we just know it didn't work out. And so I'm sure he felt like he missed his opportunity. Man, he had everything going for him. Some extra biblical texts suggest that Moses was a general in the Egyptian army and had just won a huge victory over the Ethiopian army. And so he was very prominent. He had everything good for him. He was handsome. He was well-educated. He was powerful in speech and in action. And he thought, now, this is the time for me to act on my calling. And he failed. Forty years is a long time to feel like a failure. That sort of thing weighs a person down. But that's where we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And so when we read that he's far out into the wilderness near the mountain of God. I have to wonder if he got up that morning and he told his wife and, and his sons, I won't be back tonight. I might be a couple days because I need some answers. Have you, have you ever had your heart so weighed down, so weighed down, have you felt like a failure? And where do you need to go? You got to go find God. You got to go take a walk. And that's exactly what Moses did. He took a real long walk. 
And when we find Moses, he's out in the wilderness near the mountain of God. God comes to him. He meets him there. He begins to speak to him out of the burning bush. God is not speaking to a handsome, powerful, inspiring general. He's speaking to a lonely, lowly shepherd who lacks confidence in himself and believes his best years are behind him. God is speaking to a man who in many ways is a slave to regret and failure. God knew. God knew that before Moses could go set anyone else free, he himself needed some freedom. Before God could do anything great through Moses' life, he needed to do something great in his life. And that's where Moses was at that moment. This, my friends, is critical to understanding why Moses responded to God the way he did. Because at first glance, we give Moses a hard time. I mean, God is speaking to you, Moses, out of a burning bush, for crying out loud. That's pretty amazing. You'd think you would just respond. But he didn't. He kind of wrestled with it for a minute. Because there was something going on inside of him that God needed to address. I, the second thing I want you to appreciate as we go through this is I want you to appreciate just how patient God was with Moses. Because if you've ever been through a real rough time, if you've ever walked through a season of life where you carry on your shoulder the weight of failure and regret, the one thing you don't need is someone coming down on you. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one thing you don't need is, is God just pressing down. You need God to be patient with you, and that's exactly where Moses was. Now, so let's look at chapter 4. We've set the context. Look in to help you with building a thought. I've divided these, these verses into three sections. Verses 1 through 9, 10 through 17, and 29 through 31. And you can kind of see where I'm going. You can follow along as I work through these different points. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 9. Someone once said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realize how seldom they actually do. Isn't that tr true, unfortunately? In verses 1 through 9, Moses is he's looking out. He's focused on others. God has come to him. He said, Moses, I've got, I've got something for you to do. Here's my will for your life. Here's my calling. And Moses says, I, I can't do that. I can't do that because of them. I can't do that because they won't believe me. Now think about why would he say that? Why would Moses immediately say, God, I can't do that because they won't believe me? Well, if you know Moses' story 40 years earlier, when he was at his best, when he was the general, when he was clean shaven, when his hands were smooth and he looked the part and he could speak well, he tried. And what did they say? Ah, we don't want no part of you. Who are you? Who, who put you in charge of us? And so he's looking at God and he's saying, why in the world would they respond to me now when I'm rough, unshaven? I, 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 I can't even speak anymore. I've been out of leadership for 40 years. He says, I can't do it. They won't believe me. And so as fantastic as his burning bush experience with God was, Moses assumed that they would not believe. 
But what was God's response? God told him two things. He said, stop and start. God first asked, look at verse 2 again. God says, what do you have, Moses? What's that in your hand? As if to turn Moses' attention away from those people and back to the immediate, right then, right now. God says, what do you have? As if to say, stop worrying about others. Stop worrying about how they will respond. Moses, I'm not asking them to go. I'm asking you to go. So stop worrying about them and start acting on what I'm telling you to do. Start right here, right now, with what you have. What do you have? What's that in your hand? It's a staff. And you know what a staff is, right? It's just a fancy stick, right? It's nothing. It's ordinary. How many of you like to go hiking? You go out in the woods. What's one of the first things you do if you don't have hiking poles? You look for a stick, right? And that stick becomes kind of special. And Moses' stick, it became kind of special. God used that stick a lot if you read the rest of Moses' story. But what was that staff? That staff was the symbol of that 40 years in the desert. That 40 years of failure. That 40 years of living an anonymous life doing work that was way beneath him. Think about this man. He just led an incredible victory over the Ethiopians. If you read about that victory, he was a strategic thinker. He did some amazing things. And now he's tending sheep out in the desert? And that staff represented that time of his life. And God says, what do you have? What do you have? Throw it down. Pick it up. What's that on the end of your arms? You got hands, don't you? Put one in your coat. Take it out. Put it back. Take it out. You got a cup, right? Take your cup. Go get some water. Pour it out. Notice the simplicity of the things that God asked him to do. I mean, even a child could have done that. My kids can pick up sticks and throw them down. Right? They can put their hand in their coat, take it out. They can get a cup, take some water. See, God didn't want anything to hinder Moses from just getting started. And so God says, stop worrying about what they think and start right now with what you have. And I think he says the same thing to us today. Some of us here, we know what God wants us to do. We know God's got a calling on our life. It doesn't have to be for ministry or anything of that nature. But we know God wants us to do something. It could be witnessing to somebody. It could be doing, I don't know, it could be any number of things. It could be very ordinary things. Something pertaining to our work or something pertaining to how we raise we, our kids or how we interact with our wives or husbands or, or people in our neighborhood. We know God's got something for us to do. But we haven't got started because we're too worried about how they will respond. My kids won't respond, or my wife won't respond, or my neighbor, they won't respond. God says, stop worrying about what they think, how they respond. I didn't ask them to go. I asked you to go. I asked you to respond. Let me do the hard work of convincing other people that you are on the right track. That's what God says to us today. That's exactly what God was saying to Moses at that burning bush. See, if God calls us, then we can, even if others don't believe. And as we begin to move and take action, 
with what we have, God is going to use the ordinary things in our lives in extraordinary ways. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we, speaking of believers, we now have God's light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this treasure. Why? Why does God do this? Why does God use the ordinary things in our lives in extraordinary ways? Because it makes it clear, Paul says, that this great power is from God and not from ourselves. When Moses marched back to Egypt, they didn't see a general. They saw a shepherd. And any great thing, the plagues, parting the Red Sea, the manna, the water from the rock, they knew it wasn't from Moses. They knew it. The man could barely speak anymore. They knew it had to have come from God. And the same thing is true in our lives. When God begins to move in extraordinary ways, people are going to look at us like, how, how is that possible? And, gonna, and you're going to be like, it's only God. It's only God. It's not me. In the first section, Moses is looking out. In the second section, verses 10 through 17, Moses is looking in. You see, God says, Moses, this is my will for your life. I've got a calling. I've got something for you to do. Somebody needs what you have. And Moses says, I can't go. I'm not enough. I don't speak well. I never have. Now, we know that's not true. And Moses knows that's not true. He used to be powerful in speech and action, Acts chapter 7 tells us. Powerful, inspiring. But 40 years is a long time to feel like a failure. 40 years is a long time, and over that four decades, he forgot his, what he used to be like. And so he tells God, I never have been. I can't speak. I get tongue-tied. I'm not enough. Well, what was God's response to him? It was both rhetorical and reassuring. Look again. Look at God's response to him. God says, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides if somebody can speak or not speak? It's me. Who made you? Who brought you to where you are? And who is calling you someplace else? It's me. Then God gives him some reassurance. He says, I'll be with you. You see that there in the verse? God says, I will be with you. And you know what? If you need help, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. I'll bring someone alongside of you to help you. And so we see God being rhetorical with him. We see God be reassuring him, basically saying, Moses, if you were enough, then you wouldn't need me. I'm your enough. Don't worry. You remember earlier, he says, who should I tell? Send sent me. He says, tell him the I am sent me. And he's telling Moses in these verses, he's saying, I am, you're enough. Don't worry, I'm with you. I will make up for whatever you lack. And so God says the same thing to us today. He says, who made us? Who made all our delicate parts? Who knit us together in our mother's wombs? God did. Who's been with us since our birth? God has. Who knows when we sit down and when we stand up? Who knows when we travel and when we rest at home? Who knows what we are going to say before we even say it? God does. 
And so we need to take reassurance from that, knowing that God knows us better than we know ourselves. You see, when God calls us to do something, we have to take into account that he has already counted the cost, that he knows exactly who we are and what we are capable of. We have to assume that he knows all that when he asks us to do something. So, therefore, it's not our estimation of ourselves that matters. It's his. It doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. It doesn't matter if we think we're enough or we're up for the job. It only matters what he thinks. Evidently, he took everything into consideration and still asked us to do it. And still asked us to do it. You see, if, if God calls us, then we can because he is with us. He will make up for our inadequacies. The fact that God calls us qualifies us for the job. This was true for Moses, and this is true for us today. And so let's take a moment, because I want to directly apply this to your life. What does this mean for you? What are your first steps? The first thing that came to my mind when I was studying this is that you need to spend less time regretting your mistakes and more time moving forward. You need to spend more time moving forward and less time regretting your mistakes. Some of y'all having a pity party. You've been having a pity party for a long time. I heard one man say, Pastor Ben, he said, go to Lowe's, buy a ladder, and get over it. <laughs> get over it. You need to spend less time regretting your mistakes and more time moving forward. See, what I find in talking with people is many people believe that God's will for their life is a singular path that went straight for, went straight from, or missed entirely, what then their lives are forever messed up after that. I, I genuinely think that Moses thought that for a long time. I think that that's why he had such a heavy heart. I think that is why he got up that morning. He told his wife, I got to get some answers. I'm going to the mountain of God because I can't live like this anymore. I want you to know that God's got plans like my wife has recipes. My wife's got a book that thick full of recipes. I'm telling you, no matter what's in our kitchen, she can whip up something good. And God is that same way. No matter where you're at or what you're going through, God's got plans. He can whip up something good. Okay? He can. He can pull. He can pull together a plan like nobody else can. Listen, God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the, the plan I have for you. The plan? Is that how it goes? No, he says, for I know the plans. Plural, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has several plans for you, and he's in every single one of them. He's always looking to give you a future and a hope. So I want you to think about something for a minute. <clears throat> Do you really think a God that would send his one and only son to die on a cross to take the punishment for your sins would look at you and say, well, pfft, that's it. You missed it. 
you turn left, but my plan specifically said turn right. Um, um, you're on your own now. I mean, do your best, right? Do you think God would tell you that? No, that's ridiculous. But that's how a lot of people live. And that's why they get all burdened down. They feel like a failure, like Moses did. Moses felt like, man, I turned left when God wanted me to go right. I missed it. That's it. And for 40 years, he's out in the desert feeling bad. But Romans 8.32 says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he, give, uh, uh, won't he also give us everything else? God calls, causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. God can use our education, your education or lack thereof, your past accomplishments, your failures, your times of prominence, your times of anonymity, and even the most humbling tasks in your life for good. God sees your whole life all at the same time. And he knows how each season of your life will come together to fulfill as many plans for you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that truth. That should help you spend less time regretting your mistakes and more time moving forward. I think God is kind of like Siri in our Maps app, specifically in our Maps app. Have you ever got your map out and you're like, Siri, get me home? I do that sometimes. I don't know why. Siri, get me home. And she tells, you how to, she tells me how to get home. And then I'm driving, and I miss my turn. And I go straight when I should have gone left. What does Siri do? She doesn't go, well, that's it. I'm shutting down. What does she do? She recalculates and gives you another way to get there. And I think that's exactly what God does. God says, oh, man, you missed that turn. That's okay. I'm going to recalculate. I'm going to get you there. Moses, don't worry. Don't worry. You tried to deliver the Israelites and that failed. Don't worry. I'm going to recalculate. And while I think God kind of stashed Moses out there in the desert for 40 years because what Moses didn't know is that God told Abraham way back, hey, your descendants, Abraham, they're going to be uh, uh, slaves in a foreign country for 400 years. And so when Moses tried the first time, it had only been 360 but he didn't know that. He didn't know that. He just got ahead of it. So God took him, stashed him away, and what did he do? Gave him a wife, gave him some kids. His father-in-law was the chief of a tribe, so he had to be doing pretty good, right? God used that season in awesome, really powerful ways. Here Moses is for 40 years feeling bad, yet God kept blessing him all through that time. I'm wondering... Could you take a look at your life right now if you're in that season and you're feeling bad and you're out in the desert and you're wandering around like you don't feel like you missed it. You don't even know what you're doing. God's been blessing you. You need to open up your eyes and look around and see the good things that he's been doing. How many of you can, can, can testify to that? Amen. Pastor Ben said last week, he said, when we are seeking God's heart, there are no wasted seasons in our lives. I thought that was really good. I almost made a meme out of it. That was good. That was good, Pastor Ben. You know, I think at the end of verse 17, Moses finally understood what Pastor Ben was saying. There are no wasted seasons 
There are no wasted seasons. Look back at Exodus chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Because when we read these verses, then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt, called all the, all the elders together, etc. We see a man who is moving forward despite what others may think. We see a man moving forward despite what he thinks about himself. We see a man not focused on others, not focused on himself, but a man focused on God. And now that Moses was focused on God, he could embrace the clarity that he received in that burning bush moment. I mean, for crying out loud, you can't get much more clear than what he heard in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. A bush was on fire and it was not burning up. God was speaking to him. God said, this is exactly what uh, I want you to do. And now that those things, his worries about others, his worries about himself were dealt with, he could embrace the clarity of his calling and release certainty. Some of us have a real hard time. We don't move forward until, like, everything is, like, certain. I like what my wife says sometimes. She just she often reminds me, we grow as we go, she says. We grow as we go. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just, we go. And we grow through it. We grow through it. And that's exactly what Moses needed to do. He had the clarity he needed from that burning bush experience with God. And he was just growing as he go. He was growing. He didn't know, need to know how everything was going to work out. He didn't know, need to know if Pharaoh was going to respond. He didn't know if the Israelites were going to respond. He just simply needed a crystal clear understanding of God's will in his life And that clarity was the catalyst to his personal exodus. He walked away from the mountain of God, a new man. That 40 years in the desert, completely reframed in a new light. And that's what I'm hoping that will happen in our lives today. If you've been experiencing that type of season in your life, I I want you to let God begin to reframe it. I want you to to just get in his presence. I don't know, that's been challenging this week. I I like to, I I obviously have devotional time and whatnot in the morning and lunchtime. And and I I do that first things first so that on my way home I can listen to like talk radio or something, you know, to kind of unwind. But this week I've been challenged as I've been seeking God's will in my life still. And I want to challenge you and all of us in this way to carve out a few more minutes. You know, you might want to listen to that talk radio, but say, nope, I'm going to just take extra time because I need that burning bush experience. Because you need that burning bush experience. Because you need even that extra 10 minutes on your car ride home with the Lord to get clear about what He wants you to do. We cannot, if we as a congregation are going to make a difference, if we're going to build on what the Lord, what, where we're at and what we want to do in the future, then we're going to have to carve out a little more time for some burning bush experiences to get alone with God and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? Would the worship team begin to make their way up? If you're listening today, 
and you have never had that personal encounter with God, whether you're online or here in person, then what are you waiting for? I listen to Chuck Swindoll often, and he often says that. He says, what are you waiting for? God is here. We have felt his presence in worship. We have heard from him in, through his word. And now he's saying, what are you waiting for? Why? Why haven't you made him the savior of his life? God, the father did not spare even his own son to give you the opportunity to know him. The opportunity to have every regret, every failure left at his cross. Moses left his failures, his regrets at the mountain of God. We as New Testament believers, we leave all that, bam, at the altar. And God is saying, do that today. Do that today. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, you need to believe. You need to believe. I believe the time is short. Your time is short. Put your trust in Jesus. And if you'd like to know more about how to do that, please see me or Pastor Ben or someone at the Connection Center when this service is concluded. But if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, let me encourage you to carve out a little more time this week, even yet today, even yet today, carve out a little more time before you go do your Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon activities, carve out some time. Get real clear about what God wants you to do and release the certainty. You don't need to know how others will respond to God's will in your life because if God calls, then you can, even if others don't believe. You don't need to know if you're enough or if you're up for the job because if God calls, you can. He is with you. You need that crystal clear understanding. Because if God calls, then you can, so long as you remain focused on Him. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray, and then we'll close in worship. If you're willing, just begin to lift your hands, begin to seek the Lord under your breath. Just ask God for that burning bush moment. Ask God begin to speak to you right now, right where you're at. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. I pray specifically for every person listening this morning, whether they're online or here in person. I pray this morning for those walking through a season of life where they feel like they've missed your will. Their ship is sailed. They feel they're burdened down with regret. They're burdened down with failure. I pray, God, that you would come to them like only you can in your patience, in your love, that you, they would be reminded that you have been with them this whole time. Begin to reframe this season of life that they're in. Begin to show them that you've been with them the whole time, that you've been blessing them. You've been working Behind the scenes, you've been making a way. Lord, I praise you. We praise you this morning. We just welcome your will in our life. Whatever you're calling us to do, 
whatever you want us to do, let it be done. Just pray that. Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done in my life, in my family, in this congregation. Let your will be done. Use us to do great things. May what others think about us as a congregation or as individuals not get in the way. May what we think about ourselves not get in the way. Do great things through our lives. Do great things through our lives. Do great things through this congregation this year. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All things are possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking this morning. Thank you for making your word come alive. And Lord, now I pray that it will stay alive and it will put us into action. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, God, that you use us right where we are and you give us purpose and a destiny. Hallelujah. Pastor Mike Jones, awesome. Come on, let's just thank Pastor Mike. Awesome, awesome. Awesome, awesome. When I was doing my pre-reading, which I'm hoping that you will be doing every single time we gather, and just by the uh, uh, the next time we look at Exodus, we're going to look at Exodus 5 and 6. So mark it down, Exodus 5 and 6, two chapters. Uh, we'll want to make note of that. Uh, but I was, uh, I underlined and circled so many times, go, therefore go, go, God saying go. And uh, oftentimes we end our service with the idea of go in the grace of God or Lord that you'd go before us and behind us and all around us. And uh, that's the way I want to end today, just believing that when we leave these doors or when you turn off the live feed and you get back to your day, that we have purpose and a plan and a destiny. And, uh, and thanks again, Pastor Mike, for bringing that to our remembrance and challenging us. Lord, I thank you, God, for what you're doing. God, you are building something special inside of our own lives, inside of our own families, in this church, this congregation. God, thank you for what you are building. And God, we want to be faithful and we want to be obedient. And so, Lord, I pray that as we close today, that you would go with us, that you'd be with us, surround us, God. Go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen and amen. We love you. Go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.